All right, good morning. Um, great to see you. My name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. And uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our series called The Beautiful Sacrifice that we're in as we uh, prepare for Easter. So let me encourage you to um, open your Bible, if you have one, to Psalm 23. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a blue Bible um, on the ground near you, and you can find Psalm 23 on page 458. Uh, we've also been giving out these little journals the last several weeks that say the beautiful sacrifice on them. And so uh, if you haven't gotten one of these yet, there, let me encourage you to just go grab one at the back because um, we're going to uh, reference those a little bit later in the sermon. Well, would you stand uh, with me as we read Psalm 23? Psalm 23 says this, a psalm of David, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Oh God, would you uh, be near to us now as we listen to your word, God, and as we um, often look out into our world and we wonder where you are, that you've promised to be with us through your word by the power of your spirit. Would we know and experience you now? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated, please. So this past week was my mother's birthday. And uh, I spent a fair amount of anxious energy trying to figure out what to buy my mom uh, for her birthday. And, um, uh, you know, she doesn't really need anything. There's no obvious need to fill there. And anything that um, might strike, you know, the sort of thing that's like, oh, that'd be really, that's great. Well, that's out of my budget. So um, after spending hours and hours kind of trolling Amazon, waiting for a great idea to fall into my lap. Uh, my wife said, why don't you just take her out for lunch? I thought, oh, you mean just like go be with my mom for her birthday? Uh, turns out, bingo, you know. That, if you're, you feel free to write that down, by the way. Um, what do you get for the person that has every, that, you know, who doesn't need anything? Just go be with them. Um, what do we really want from our friends, from our family, from our loved ones, from the people that we care about? You know, there's a lot of ways we can answer that question, but at the end of the day, what we really want is their presence. Uh, we just want to be together. But it's hard to be with each other in the world that we live in, isn't it? Um, we are busy, busy people. And uh, we think that technology would give us the opportunity to connect with people, but we're finding increasingly that our, especially our phones actually keep us isolated. You know, if I'm in line for more than three seconds, I pull out my phone and start looking at it because, gosh, how could I stand in line for this long and actually, I don't know, be bored or something? I don't know. Um, 
It's hard to get FaceTime with our loved ones. I got an experience of this last week. Um, like many of you, our kids were on, uh, they got out of school early all this, this last week. Um, anybody else have that? So last week, you know, it was all like a parent-teacher conferences, so all of our kids were out early, and I think my wife was sort of dreading the week. And so last Sunday, as we were preparing for the week ahead, my wife said to our kids, um, hey, what, like, what do you guys want to do this week? You're going to have more time at home. What would, be, what would make you feel loved? What, um, you know, give me some ideas. <laughs> and um, my daughter's like, we could just go buy stuff. Um, <laughs> something. We could go have fun. But one of my boys said, I just, I would just love to have some one-on-one time with my parents. Um, and, it, you know, it's so moving to think about my boys saying, Dad, I just want to be with you. I don't want to compete with my brothers or my sister. I don't want to have to compete with your phone or your work. I just want you to look at me, Dad. Would you just spend time with me? Um, So much of the time, the meaning and the joy of life comes from the presence of our friends and our family, of just being with them. Uh, We've got to be together. We've got to have face time. We cannot thrive without the presence of those that we love. Well, that's what Psalm 23 is all about. Psalm 23 is all about the presence of God. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. So let me ask you this question. What do you really want from God? What do you really need from God? Well, the good news of the gospel in Psalm 23 is this. God promises us his presence. He promises just to be with us. And the reality is that our world is full of people who say, I believe in God. I believe that there is a God, and yet they don't know him. As a pastor, I mean, as soon as somebody asks me what I do, I mean, I say this like every other week, right? (laughs) Everybody said, the first response somebody said, when they find out I'm a pastor, they say, oh, I'm a very spiritual person. I've, I've gotten to know this woman. She hangs out at a coffee shop I'm at a lot, and every time I see her, uh, she runs over, and she wants to tell me about what, a, you know, what good things she's doing. And She's so desperate for somebody to affirm her and tell her that she's, she's good, and she told me this last week. Um, she said uh, she's getting ready to go to Thailand on this spiritual retreat, and she's going to do this mission. I told her I was a missionary at Oladera Ranch. It really freaked her out. She didn't know what it meant. But I, I asked her, I said, um, uh, you know, what do you believe about God and, and faith? And she said, I'm an intensely spiritual person. I said, that's interesting. How, what does that look like in your life? She said, what do you mean? Well, you just told me you were not, you didn't tell me you're a spiritual person. You told me you're an intensely spiritual person. So what does that look like for you? How does God, how do you experience the presence of God in your life? And she thought about it for a long minute and she said, I have no idea. And it's tragic, isn't it, to think about the fact that all around us are people who know that there is a God and yet don't actually know him. Our neighborhoods are full of people who know that there's a God but don't know him. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to church, we're sitting by people who know that there's a God, but have never experienced intimacy with him. 
in our homes, maybe even sleeping in our own bed, there are people who say, yes, I believe in God, but I don't experience his presence. There's no intimacy. I don't have his face. You know, in some ways, the story of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible could be told as the story of what God, do, what God does to give us his presence. The first two chapters of the Bible describe God creating the world and creating Adam and Eve to experience his goodness and to walk. In, and it says that Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. They knew God's presence, and yet when they rebelled against God, God's presence left, and we could not stand the presence of God. And so God's presence was withdrawn from us as human beings. But the final chapter of the Bible in Revelation 22, if you go all the way to the end of the story, what you see is a a vision of the future and the redeemed humanity, the redeemed people of God. And it says in uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be the, uh, the tree of life is, is bearing its fruit and the water, the, the, the river of life is giving life to people. And it says there will be no sun because the glory of God will be our light. And Revelation 22, 4 says, we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. It's the presence of God. That's what, that's what God gives us. I mean, another way to think about it is this. Have you ever had this experience where maybe you're, you're doing something, just a mundane task, and you kind of turn and catch someone you love who's just been watching you, kind of smiling at you, and you just see somebody else enjoying you? That's what Psalm 23 is talking about, catching the face of God, smiling at you. We've got to have the presence of God. That's what we're longing for. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, looking at you this morning, it doesn't look like a lot of us have spent time with livestock recently. Some of you have, actually, but uh, what does a shepherd do? Like, it's possible that nobody in the room has ever seen a live shepherd in real life, right? Outside of like a native, those aren't real shepherds, right? What do shepherds do? They just hang out with sheep. It's the world's shortest job description. Like, just go be with those sheep. And then once I develop the feel for it, then how do I, what do I do to get better? You just do the same thing. Just keep being with the sheep. Um, a shepherd is present with his sheep in order to care for them and to protect them. And that's what we get. We get the, we get the presence of God. The presence of God. Now, you might hear this and wonder, now, isn't God, um, isn't God everywhere? Yeah. Isn't God, what about the omnipresence of God? But there is a difference, isn't there, between the the fact of the existence of God, just the reality that God is present to everyone and everything all the time, and actually knowing, experiencing intimacy with the God who loves us and cares for us and protects us. This is what my my son was asking for when he said, Dad, I just want to be with you. Dad, you're always here. Do you think my kids, like, I'm always there. We live in the same house, right? I'm always with you. What do you mean, Dad? He's saying, Dad, I want your face. I want to spend time with you. I want to be, I want to experience you. This is what the good news of Jesus is all about. This is why Jesus was born. Matthew 1 says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Mm. The Lord is my shepherd. 
the Lord is my shepherd. But Psalm 23 continues, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If I have the presence of God, I won't want for anything. Now, it doesn't say you won't want anything. I want so stinking many things. Uh, but it says, it says not you won't want anything. It says you won't want for anything. God will provide by supplying all that we need because all that we truly need is in him. And when we find our satisfaction in God and who he is and in his love and what he has done for us, we can handle whatever life throws at us. With the presence of God, we can handle anything, but without the presence of God, even our greatest successes won't satisfy. And the most tragic example of that that comes to mind is the example of Tom Brady. Um, well, all the guys just paid it. Hey, you know who Tom Brady is? Tom Brady um, is the most successful uh, quarterback to ever play in the NFL. I think he's won five Super Bowl rings now. He just lost one, right? Um, after he won his third Super Bowl ring, he was interviewed on CBS. And as he's being interviewed on CBS, he's kind of musing, he's talk, kind of thinking out loud, and this is what Tom Brady said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I've reached my goal, my dream my life, but me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. Mm. Now, this is a man who's married to a supermodel, has a $60 million contract to play football, and has done it better than any quarterback ever. And the interviewer said, uh, asked him, when you think about your Super Bowl rings, which one do you like best? Which one's your favorite? And you know what he said? The next one the next one. Without the presence of God, five Super Bowl rings, I mean, he is winning at life, if that's what life is about. And yet he says, it's not enough. It's not enough. If you have your father's face, you will want for nothing. Listen, have you ever thought, yeah, sure, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that Jesus lived. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose again. I believe that after I die, I will live forever with him. But what difference does it make if that girl or that guy that I've got my eye on doesn't even pay attention to me? What difference does all of that make if I wake up every day to go to a job that I hate? What difference does it make if even as a grown adult, I still feel like my parents are mildly disappointed in me? Well, listen, as far as I can tell, there's only two places in the New Testament where God the Father, where we actually hear the audible voice of God the Father. And the first one is at the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus begins his ministry and he's baptized by John, there he's there being baptized and we hear the voice of God the Father and he says, this is my son who I love. And then three years later, at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's about to go to the cross and he goes up on this mountain and Moses and Elijah appear to him. We again hear the audible voice of God the Father. And you know what he says? This is my son who I love. The only two times 
The Father speaks in the New Testament. He says the same thing. This is my boy. I'm so proud of him. I love him. And yet the next thing we see is Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so the question is, why is Jesus on the cross experiencing the abandonment of his father? Why does God the Father turn his back on his son who he loves? Well, the answer is because on the cross, Jesus is taking your place. Jesus is exchanging places with you. On the cross, Jesus gets the back of God so that you will never lose the presence of God. Jesus is abandoned by God so that God will never abandon you. Jesus gets what you deserve and you get what Jesus deserves. So when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, God says, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you. I love you. Everything that the Father says to Jesus, he says to you, if you are in him, in you he is well pleased. And if the God of the universe notices you and loves you and is proud of you and affirms you, then it doesn't mean so much when other people don't. I mean, it doesn't mean you like it, but it doesn't crush us. It doesn't crush us. There's an old hymn that says... um, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you have the presence of God, you can handle whatever life throws, about, throws at you. But then Psalm 23 it takes a turn in verse 4. And uh, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The psalm starts by describing the presence of God in, in normal times, in good times, in sort of just whatever times. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, he is with me. God is there, and yet there's this sense of distance, but in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, When we're struggling, when we're depressed, when we're despondent, when life is not going our way, the psalm turns and the psalmist says, you are with me. The intimacy of God. We know the presence of God. God is always with us. And yet the reality is that we tend to be acutely aware of his presence with us in the valley of the shadow of death when we are struggling. This is what the psalm is saying. Uh, Does God always love me? If I'm in Christ, is God always with me? Yes. But am I always aware of his presence with me? No. Of course not. But it tends to be when I'm struggling that I'm most aware of his presence. And so here's the question that I want to um, spend some time on this morning. The question is this, what do I do when I don't feel the presence of God? What do I do when God seems distant? Yes, I know, maybe I believe in God. I know that Jesus died for me. I want to know God's presence, but I don't. So what do I do? Well, the first thing that I want you to hear is this, that that is a normal experience. And you are not alone in feeling like God is, uh, has removed his presence. Um, 
you're not alone in wanting to experience the it, You have to know this because otherwise it drives us crazy. Uh, and throughout the Bible and throughout history, there have been heroes of the faith who have often uh, had this experience. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was, uh, is considered by many to be the greatest preacher, one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived. He, he, uh, he was a pastor in London in the 1800s. And uh, he would draw vast crowds. Vast crowds came to listen to him preach on Sundays. So much so that they actually had to knock the church where he was a pastor down, knock the building down, and build a bigger building. And so while the construction was going on, their church rented a concert hall in London. And the fear was that this hall was so big, this is in the days before amplification, and so they were concerned that it would be so big that people in the back wouldn't be able to hear him. And so in the middle of the week, as they're preparing to move their Sunday services into this venue, uh, Charles Spurgeon and some of his people, I don't know, they went over to like test the acoustics. And Spurgeon is on the stage and he just is reading a passage of the Bible. And he would, God used him so mightily. He was such a persuasive communicator that just reading the Bible to test for the... He's doing a sound check, basically. And the janitor setting up chairs in the back of the room was converted and met Jesus. Woo! Just listening to him. Okay, this is how, how incredibly you know, mightily God used... Spurgeon, and yet his entire adult life, he fought what he called a causeless depression. He said once, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not for what I wept. At times he would be out of the pulpit, and in any given year he would be out of the pulpit two or three months. He just couldn't get out of bed. And in the midst of those bouts of depression, his wife said she often wondered whether he would ever preach again. A man mightily used by God and yet often found himself saying, where is the presence? Where are you, God? Where are you? Throughout the Bible, we see uh, many, you know, um, Elijah, Moses, Job, Jeremiah, and others calling out, God, where are you? Uh, many of these people even asking to let God or asking God to let them die. And so you need to know that when you wonder where God is, you're not alone. It's easy to think that the further along we get in our spiritual journey, we should just experience more and more joy. And yet I've often found that the opposite of that is, to, is the case. Um, as a pastor, I have seen many times somebody who's maybe met Jesus for the first time or someone whose faith has been rekindled and they, they enter this period of joy and it seems like the sun is always shining and I think often God is just nice to Christians who are young in their faith. <laughs> and yet what often happens is six months or a year or 18 months down the road, like normal life begins to reemerge. And there's often this moment where someone who's, who's had this new or renewed faith, I, I think, has this now this decision to make. Where, where there's this, you have to make this decision about, are you going to still remain faithful to God even when life is hard? He's always present. And yet when life is hard, we can wonder where he is. It's a normal part of the Christian life to go through periods where God seems distant 
and we're discouraged. And you need to know that because oftentimes when this happens, we just get into this spiral that is like self-defeating. Um, what we normally do when we're discouraged and we wonder if God even cares and we feel terrible, what we do is we drink more, um, we sleep less, we stay up too late, and then we feel bad. And so uh, we feel like nobody likes us. And so we withdraw from community and we back out of relationships. And then we feel terrible and we wonder where God is. And so it just is this spiral that continues to feed itself. So what do you do when you don't feel the presence of God? Here's what I want you to do. Pull out your, your um, beautiful sacrifice journal. The last couple of weeks, I've, I've given you a qu- couple of questions to write down. What I want to do today is try to give you, uh, is give you three just really practical tools that you can take with you. So I want you to open up your, your journal and just write the question, um, what do I do when God feels distant? And then I'm going to give you three uh, tools to write down. All I can do is, is give you the tools <laughs> and help you work, uh, work through them. But I think that um, there's three things that you can do that if you do them, they will make a profound difference in your life. Now, if you are wondering where God is or in the future, when you go through this sort of experience. And so the first thing that you've got to do when you don't feel God's presence and you wonder where he is, the first thing you have to do, write this down, is tell yourself the truth. When you're depressed, when you're discouraged, when you can't feel the presence of God, you cannot rely on your feelings. Uh, When you don't know where God is, you don't feel like doing anything. And when your feelings are broken, when your emotions are broken, you cannot rely on your emotions uh, to heal you. And so in these times, you've got to learn to rely on your intellect and your mind. You've got to remind yourself what you know is true, even though you don't feel like it. Psalm 42 is, um, actually Psalm 42 and 43 originally were a single psalm. And it's kind of this classic psalm on the experience of uh, what, what people have called the dark night of the soul. God, where are you? God, I can't, I can't find you. Why, have you. Um, why have you left me, God? And the refrain in Psalm 42 and 43, it repeats over and over again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Um, if you were a person who was in uh, Christian circles in the church in like the 80s or 90s, you remember this song. Uh, why so downcast, oh my soul, put your hope in God. Like that is musical heresy. It's like this jaunty, like, hey. <laughs> but listen to what he's saying. The psalmist is saying, when I don't know where God is, I've got to look at my soul. I've got to look at myself and say, why are you so sad, soul? Soul, put your trust in God. We've got to learn to tell ourselves the truth because we don't feel like it. We have to tell ourselves it's true because we don't feel like it. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a a pastor, also a pastor in London, about 100 years after Charles Spurgeon, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, which is, I I think, probably the classic work on this topic. Um, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures. And in that book, he says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking back? 
when your feelings tell you how miserable you are, you've got to tell yourself the truth. You cannot rely on your feelings to fix you because your feelings are broken. But you've got to learn the discipline of telling yourself the truth, um, seeing the truth. Um, I heard somebody say, this is the time to pull out like a really long theological book because you're never going to feel like reading it anyway. And this is the time when nothing makes you feel good. <laughs> and if you read and you're reminded about what is true and who God really is, you will eventually, uh, eventually your emotions will catch up. When you don't feel like it, you've got to remind yourself that God is good, that he has not abandoned you, that he is with you, that he loves you. He will not fail you. Tell yourself the truth because you can't trust your feelings when they're broken. Okay, secondly, the second thing I want you to write down is this. Um, when you don't know where God is and you can't, it feels like his presence has escaped you, you've got to take care of your body. You've got to take care of your body. God has designed us as people with a body and a soul, and they are connected. Um, we are one person with body and soul, and when we are spiritually and emotionally weak, our temptation is to let ourselves go physically as well. And so uh, we don't get enough sleep, and we're not that hungry, and we eat, you know, junk food, and we feel blah, and so we don't get exercise, and we stay up late, and we binge watch stuff on Netflix, it doesn't matter, and then uh, we're surprised that we feel terrible. And um, there's this crazy thing that happens in, um, in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 19. The prophet Elijah has been in this battle against the, the false prophets, and, um, and in, in 1 Kings 19, he actually, he's victorious. And he, God allows him to defeat the prophets of Baal, Baal. And um, he's just defeated the false prophets. And instead of being elated at this victory God has given him, depression sets in. Which, just as an aside, is an interesting thing to note. It's not always when things are going badly that um, depression sets in. Um, it's often when things are going, going well that somehow this cloud seems to hang over us. And so um, Elijah is depressed and he goes out into the wilderness by himself and he asks God to kill him and then he falls asleep. And what God does is he sends an angel to minister to Elijah it's so weird. In, in 1 Kings 19, it says an angel came and he, he tapped Elijah on the, on the shoulder. Um, you know, most places in the Bible, when an angel shows up, the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Um, but Elijah wakes up and he's so depressed that apparently he's not even phased. Okay, there's an angel, whatever. <laughs> and the angel has cooked him a meal. And Elijah eats and then he goes back to sleep. And then it happens again. And the angel wakes him up and he's cooked Elijah a meal. And Elijah eats and then he goes on and does his thing. You've got to take care of your body when you're struggling, when you're depressed, when you wonder where God is. Uh, this week has been just hard. It's been a hard week for me. And... Um, I don't know what, it was Wednesday maybe, my wife looks at me and she says, you just need to get out of the house and go for a run. And I was like, I don't want to do that. She's like, well, just do it. And so I did it. 
and it was amazing. <laughs> no, it felt better, you know. We get into these times where it feels like God doesn't care and life is hard and we don't get sleep and we eat junk and you pour a little bit of stress over the top of all of that and yeah, life really stinks. And we've got to learn to get off the couch and go for a run and get the blood flowing, get the endorphins, endorphinine or whatever they do. We've got to get enough sleep. We've got to take care of our bodies and our spiritual health will often follow. And then thirdly, um, when you wonder where God is, when you don't feel his presence, you've got to learn to rely on your relationships. When we don't feel like doing anything, we get into this cycle, it feeds itself, and the truth is that I don't know what I need. Uh, Because when I'm depressed and I'm discouraged and I don't feel like God is showing up in the ways that I want him to, I can't see myself as I really am, and I have to rely on people who care about me to remind me of what's true and to help me. In my previous job, I was a um, college pastor, and um, I, uh, I was part of, part of this national campus ministry, and every year, um, for, we would have two different times where for a week, all of the, all of the uh, pastors in our ministry would get together for a week of training, and for so many people, it was this fun time of seeing old friends. But for me, it was, it was, it was always just a struggle in this time of, it, it felt like I was going to somebody else's high school reunion for a, two weeks a year. And I would just be so discouraged and so frustrated and so angry. And um, at one point, my boss came to me and he said to me, Uh, you know, when you get like this, you don't have much self-awareness. And you don't know how you come across to other people. And of course, nobody's going to like you because you make it clear that you don't like them. (laughs) And guess what? I did not really like that (laughs) when he told me that. But I also know that, I mean, he cared about me. He's not taking out his frustration on me. And if he's saying this thing that I don't want to hear to me, there's probably some truth in it. And so I probably need to do what doesn't feel natural, which is listen to somebody tell me what I need to hear. When it feels like God is far from us, we've got to rely on our relationships. Our tendency is going to be to withdraw, to shut everyone down, to stop going to church, to stop seeing friends. And we've got to resist that. We've got to listen to our friends and our family. When they tell us things we don't want to hear, they're not being cruel. You know how hard it is to say something to somebody that you know they don't want to hear? And so if somebody is saying something to you that, they, that you don't want to hear, it probably means it's true. Because they're not doing it to make themselves feel better. We've got to show up for worship We've got to resist this impulse that says, well, if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it. I don't just show up at church. I don't care if you don't feel like it. Um, It's fine. We can't rely solely on ourselves ever, but especially when we don't sense God's presence and our emotions are broken and life doesn't seem to be going the way that we want it to. We need our friends and our family and our brothers and our sisters in Christ to come alongside us. 
Because the truth is this, God loves you. He is with you. He is with you when you are aware of it, and he is with you when you are not aware of it. And yet it's often in the struggle and through the struggle that we gain a deeper sense of his goodness to us. And people say a lot, um, you know, people ask questions, where is God? Where can I find God? And so let me just leave you with this. The one place that we know that God has promised to be is, is right here in his word. And so let me just encourage you, one final, I don't know, encouragement, to use Psalm 23, to read it, to pray it. Uh, one of my um, boys about a year ago was at this place where he was just afraid of everything all the time. And I didn't know what to say or how to do or how to help him. And so we just started memorizing Psalm 23 together. And we just together reminded ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is with you always. He is good to you. He is your shepherd. And if you know that, you will not want. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words that have been such a comfort to your people for thousands of years. God, I thank you that uh, you've given us just this, this time to reflect on them this morning. And as we now uh, turn our attention uh, to the Lord's table, would we know again your presence with us? Uh, you have ministered to us through your word. By the power of your spirit, we believe that Jesus is with us even now. And as we celebrate around his table, would you use these simple elements, this bread and this wine, uh, to strengthen our faith, to remind us that you don't just, just endure us, but that you love your children and you delight to be with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.